Uh, I'm going to start with a little bit of a story that um, actually does tie into the sermon, believe it or not. Uh, last week, I was excited to come into church and lead worship because I had new strings on my guitar. And when I got here and I plugged it in, the very first thing I discovered is no sound will come out of it when I plug in. I mean, you can hear the guitar, you know, obviously it's an acoustic guitar, but it wouldn't come through the sound system. And that is like, you know, you go from excitement to, ugh, right? Just couldn't get it working. And I even pulled out, you know, the, the cord and I thought, I'll plug it back and it didn't work. And then I, I plugged it into a different amp and couldn't get any sound. And I thought, my guitar is just dead. What a pain. Monday morning, I take it into the guitar shop, get it repaired, get it looked at. I'm just like, ah, what a pain. Money, time. They told me I wouldn't be able to have it by this Sunday. And I thought, my goodness, I better just buy a new guitar. Well, I did, but not for me. Um, my, my daughter has been saying, um, you know, she wanted to learn. And I'm a sucker for that. When my kids want to learn music, I, I love that. And so... I thought, well, now's, now's the chance. I went and I bought her guitar. I'm playing Heather's guitar today. She's just been starting to learn. And I got here this morning. I was like, you know, it's, it's different. It's not my normal guitar. I play a jumbo. This is a three-quarter. It's small. I feel like I'm playing a toy, but, you know, it's, it's what I have while mine's in the shop. And I plug it in, ready to go, get started, and there's no sound coming through. And I think to myself, this is not right. I checked this yesterday. What is going on? And then I realized, oh, last week, I assumed the problem was my guitar. It was actually the cable between my guitar and the box. And it doesn't matter where I plugged it into. It didn't matter. The connection couldn't be made because that wire was broken. And there was nothing I could do. And so I thought my guitar was the problem all along. And the problem was the connection. So anyway, figured that out. I got a new cable today. But what we are connected to matters, doesn't it? And a few weeks ago, we started a series on Colossians. And I gave you an image of uh, uh, gardening in my own backyard, about two different bushes that had formerly been uh, right beside each other, growing and healthy and alive. Um, but I moved one of them. And you can see the difference here in the picture. Uh, while once flourishing and alive, you can see the flowers, just beautiful and full. Uh, now that this one was disconnected, uprooted, uh, out of place, um, it's, it's like a stick. This is worse than a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Like, this is just a nothing. Um, in fact, it hasn't even started to bud yet this year, and, and there's more buds on that there than there are now, that's for sure. But it was basically, it seemed like it was dead. Now, I, gardening-wise, it'll probably come back in time, yes. But these two serve as a reminder that if we're not connected to the source of life, if we're not deeply rooted in Jesus, we're nothing but a dead, twiggy, stick bush. But connected to the source of life, connected to Jesus, we can be alive and flourishing the way that God intended for us. And that's been a major theme through Colossians as we've gone. And today, as we come to a new section, Paul will go even further into that kind of language. And he'll talk about the contrast of these two different things and how they play out in our lives. And we want to look at that carefully. We want to see what the scriptures say. We're now in Colossians chapter 2, verses, uh, oh, I'm going to say um, 7 through 15, something like that. Uh, we'll see here in a moment. 
verse 6, starting. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Now, pause for a moment. We've been talking about an ideology that was common in the world back um, of that culture. It was this idea of Gnosticism, which means there's a secret knowledge that you have to pursue. And oftentimes that secret knowledge comes by special messengers like angels, very mystical, very much removed from the physical body. It was this uh, very different kind of thing than Christianity. And what it taught was that you begin with Jesus, but then you move on to bigger and better things. That Jesus is like a starting point, an entry point, but then irrelevant, really, to the rest of life. What Paul's writing is say is, no, that's not the case at all. You don't move on from Jesus. You go deeper into, you don't go beyond. And so he begins this section. He's talked about the sufficiency of Christ. He's talked about his own sort of rootedness in Christ. But now he says, now... Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. This is ongoing. This is something you're meant to keep doing. Keep following. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built upon him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Now, this is, uh, we see he's using a lot of different images all at once. And let's just look at them briefly for a moment. The first one he said is, you know, you're meant to follow. This is an active pursuit of Jesus in your life. But then the next two images could uh, just confuse us for a moment because they're images that are totally rooted and stayed in one place. Let your roots go down into. You know, a plant when it's healthy isn't moving around a whole lot. It's not going from one spot to another. In fact, transferring can actually cause a death. It's not meant to be moved. And so here uh, we see a new image. Now the image is, rather than just following, now the image is staying. But the point is, in both cases, staying with Jesus. Follow Jesus. Pursue him. Rooted in Jesus. And then the third is like it. Let your lives be built on him. It's like the image of a, a foundation in a building or a house. Your life needs to be built upon. It needs to be rooted in you need to remain connected to Jesus. You need to pursue Jesus. The point here is that our life comes with our connection to Jesus, he says. You don't move on from Jesus to something else that's bigger, that's better, that's anything else. You stay connected to Jesus. You go deeper into Jesus. You go further with Jesus. You build higher, sourced on the power and foundation of Jesus. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you'll overflow with thankfulness. So there's this picture that when we are rooted in, when we are built upon, when we were following after, there will be a flourishing in our lives. Now, that's not to say there will never be difficulty, there will never be suffering. Just last week, we talked about how Paul experienced incredible suffering, but he saw that as following after the pattern of Jesus. Jesus suffered. And yet Jesus was also glorified, and with Jesus will be glorified. But the suffering is part of that pattern. And so he says, 
you will overflow with thankfulness. So it's not about you're going to overflow with abundance in every single aspect. Sometimes you're going to suffer and sometimes circumstances will be difficult. But even in those moments, your rootedness in Christ, your being built upon Christ, your source and foundation upon him will result in thankfulness. You'll be overflowing. And that's not going to be dependent on your circumstances. It's going to be dependent on what you are drawing your life from. Because his supply never ends. And so he says, your faith will grow. You'll be overflowing with thankfulness. You'll be like that flourishing bush rather than the dead twiggy stick. So he says, that's the picture of this life. You don't move beyond Jesus. You go deeper into Jesus. And out of that will come all this abundance and flourishing in your faith. Now, the point here isn't the strength of your faith so much, although he says your, your faith will grow stronger. The point is not you and your faith and what you, it's what you have faith in. And sometimes I use the analogy of if you fell over a cliff and you were holding on to a branch, it doesn't matter whether or not you believe in the branch. It matters if the branch is strong enough, right? Because if it's weak, and it's about to snap, all your faith in the world doesn't matter. It will snap. But if it's strong enough, even if you have very little faith that it can hold you, it will hold you. And Jesus is much more than a branch. Jesus is strong enough to hold you. And even if you have a little bit of faith in him, it's enough. Because he is strong enough. And when we hold on to Jesus, when our faith is in him, our faith will grow, yes. And we will grow in the likeness of Jesus. However, what's most important is where our faith is directed. And if it's directed to something strong enough, if it's directed to the source of life, if it's directed to Jesus, that is enough. So, you must continue to follow him. Don't go looking for anything else to hold on to. Nothing else can hold you up. Nothing else can sustain you. Nothing else is adequate to the difficulties of life. Only Jesus. So don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Now, let's flip to the next slide, and we're going to sort of represent this um, throughout the, next, um, the rest of the passage with these two sides. You know, there's the dead twiggy branches and there's the live flourishing bush. And so what we see here is, uh, he said in contrast, there's the human thinking and spiritual powers and then there's Christ. Human thinking and spiritual powers. All of us are aware of things and teaching and instruction and ways of living our lives, strategies for living, life hacks, all these different things that are supposed to help us figure out how to get by how to keep going. And a lot of those things can be really good. But sometimes we have ideologies or philosophies. We have things that we commit ourselves that lead us, that guide us, that influence us, that actually aren't true. And when we're not careful and we allow those things to lead us or capture us, they take a hold of us in a way that is not going to get us through. It will fail us. And what he says is a very different situation with Christ. So while human thinking and spiritual powers 
they capture us with Christ, we accept. It's a very different kind of relationship here. Human thinking and spiritual powers capture us with their ideologies and ways of life and ways of doing things. But Christ is something that we choose, that we receive, that we reach out for when we hear the invitation to. It's very different. Now, human thinking, we all understand to some extent human thinking. You know, there's teachers, there's instructors, there's ways, there's systems. But we're less familiar with spiritual powers, which is, I guess, simply a way we could say of realizing there are forces and powers at work that we can't always see or understand. And when those things are at work in the world, they lead us away from, they capture us, they drag us away from Jesus. They rob us of life. They drain us dry. And here, what Paul is saying, the contrast is very clear. With human thinking or spiritual powers, when we allow those things, when we aren't careful to defend ourselves against that, then human thinking and spiritual powers, they capture us, and it's nonsense, and it's empty. But he says with Christ, instead, it's something that we accept, we choose, we welcome. And instead of nonsense, we're strong in the truth. And instead of emptiness, there's overflowing. What Paul is saying is, there's all kinds of great teachers. There's all kinds of interesting thoughts. There's all kinds of helpful things that you can go looking for and find, and some of them will be forced upon you. But if those things aren't somehow rooted in the reality of God and his goodness, then they're nothing but emptiness and nonsense. Now, wherever there is truth to be found, it is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. And this isn't to say we can't learn from any source at all. That's not at all the point. But we need to be looking for the source of life. To look beyond the curtain. To be intentional and careful and thoughtful. To be discerning. To make sure that it is Christ that we have our faith in. Because he alone is enough. So human thinking and spiritual powers versus Christ. Captured versus accepted. Nonsense versus strong in the truth. Emptiness versus an overflowing experience. So let's look into this further. Let's go to the next slide. Now what's implied in the opposing side or the alternate to Christ, what's implied in what Paul is saying is there's a sense of being incomplete. And a large part of that is symbolized or represented by their um, uncircumcision if I can use that as a word. So what's going on probably here is, yes, there's this Gnostic ideology that's saying, you know, you need this mystical experience with mystical messengers, and you need to forget about the physical world and only pursue the spiritual world, and you need to go beyond Jesus and go on to deeper things, more important things. Rather than that, there seems to be another ideology, and that's kind of coming from within the camp. So there's the out, outside influence of culture, and this Gnostic ideology, but then there's also this inner camp. And that's what's happening is that a lot of the believers were originally Jewish. And so what they're saying is, well, Jesus continues what we learned from Moses and all of that in the Torah. And so they say, well, we need to continue all these things. And part of that is this marking, this symbolism that comes from circumcision. That's how we know that we have a relationship with God. It's a covenant sign. It's a way that we represent that. 
And so they were saying that if, if you weren't Jewish and you suddenly became a believer, then it's not good enough if you don't do all the things you need to be circumcised to. This outward sign. Now, a lot of Paul's teaching in other places, not so much here, but he'll talk about how that's no longer necessary. But here what he refers to is not so much the, the physical act of circumcision, but he talks about what Jesus actually does for us now and why it's no longer needed. So there's the sense that they're incomplete and uncircumcised, that's, um, but that's the dead, the dead bush. And what Paul says is, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. So here what's happening here. He says, not only are you not incomplete, you've got the fullness of God. And sometimes we hear the language of, you know, inviting Jesus into our hearts. Um, that's not as much the biblical idea. The biblical idea is more that we are invited into Christ, that we are in him, we're enveloped by, we're included, embraced within Christ. We're absorbed into him, which I think is, is a much better sort of picture for us because you think about, oh, well, I'm just letting Jesus into this little part of me. No matter how important that is to how I live, it's just I'm letting into a part of me rather than the idea that I am enveloped by and fully immersed in the life of Jesus. And that's what Paul would have us to see. In Christ lives the fullness of God in a human body, and you are complete through your union with Christ. So we aren't lacking anything. We're in Jesus, and he's the source of life. That's it. That's enough. So he says, keep going into Jesus. Keep going deeper into the presence of Jesus. Because in Christ is the fullness of God. There's nothing left to go. It's the fullness of God. So go deeper into it, and you are unified with Christ. You are complete through your union with Christ. So every human ideology, every spiritual power, here we're hearing Jesus is head over every ruler and authority. There is nothing greater than Jesus. There's no human king, prime minister, president, CEO, manager, boss. There is no one that stands greater than Jesus. There is no one above him. Nothing. No, ide no ideology, no idea, no philosophy. Nothing is above him. He stands over all of it. Every great idea, every brilliant genius, every incredible leader, every visionary in the world, nothing compared to Jesus. You can't find more than him. There's nothing else beyond him but emptiness and nonsense. And so Paul says, don't go looking somewhere else. He is above. He's over every ruler and authority. And in him is the fullness of God available to you. You're not incomplete. You're not missing anything. You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to do anything. You are complete and whole in Jesus. Let's continue on with some of this. Uh, we, we hear him then say, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. So he says, it's not that you're incomplete. Rather, actually, you are made whole because something has been removed from you. It's that sinful nature. That sin has been removed from you, and now you're complete and whole in Jesus. 
Some of you know um, the, the horror of dealing with cancer. My own father died from it. And the goal of any cancer treatment is to eliminate that thing from your body, isn't it? To have that removed from you because it's robbing you of life. And so there's this sense here that we need to get rid of the cancer of sin that's draining us, that's robbing us of light, and we become whole and complete because it's removed. And the only way for it to be cut off, the only way for it to be removed is not some spiritual, it's not some surgery, it's not some physical procedure, but it's by relying on Christ to deal with it. So when you came to Christ, you were circumcised. Something was cut off, but it wasn't foreskin. It was the sin that was dealing, was robbing you of life. Now let's go on to the next slide here. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. You were dead because of that. That's the contrast to what we have in Christ. You're dead if that sin is still part of you. It doesn't get cut away unless Jesus deals with it. You were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The contrast here is we see dead and alive. Death and life. And it's Jesus that makes the difference. God made you alive with Christ. And here what we're seeing is, remember at the beginning it said you must continue to follow Christ. Well, we need to follow him and the pattern of his life in all things. And we're about to see how this plays out more fully. But we are alive with him. We are alive with Christ because he deals with our sin. He forgives our sins. And he disarms the spiritual rulers and authorities. So all those great human thinkers, all those spiritual powers, he disarms all of them. How does he do it? He does it through his death on the cross. And we're used to thinking about that moment, certainly as a significant one in our faith, but usually when we think about the cross, we think Jesus is losing. He's losing his life. He's dying. But that's not at all how Jesus sees it. Jesus is not losing it. He is giving his life. He's intentionally chosen this. This is his purpose, why he came. This is what he has come to do. Because in his dying, he is cutting away the power of sin in our lives. He is disarming the spiritual rulers and authorities. And it is a victory for him there at the cross. A victory that won't be obvious until he beats death and rises from the grave. But a victory that begins there, even in that moment. It's not Jesus that is ashamed to be hung on a cross. It's not Jesus that is humiliated. It is every other power and authority trying to jockey for first position. It's everything else that tries to take his place. It's everything else that tries to rob us of life. All of that is shamed and defeated there at the cross. Jesus is greater. And he demonstrates it in this moment. You were dead. God made you alive with Christ. He deals with our sin that is killing us and robbing us and destroying us. Let's go to the next verse. 
So you were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So here we see that we are meant to follow the pattern of Jesus in every aspect of our lives. It begins by dying. Our life begins by dying, like him, dying to who we are in our old selves, dying to that sinful nature, dying to all of that so that we could live with him. We are with him. We identify with him. We're buried with Christ. And we're raised to new life with him. Now, here we see the contrast of these two symbols. The symbol of circumcision was one that only men could participate in, or boys. Women were excluded from being able to participate in that symbol of faith. And it was one that was chosen for them on their eighth day. It wasn't something they normally chose as an adult, although some converts did come later on. But rather, what we now see in Jesus is rather than needing a physical circumcision that marks only half of the population, now what we are invited to is all of us, men, women, young, old, children, adult, we are invited to participate in the life of Jesus, to identify with Jesus, to so closely align ourselves with his life that we die like he died and are buried and are raised. And baptism is a symbol. It's not a magical thing. But it's a beautiful experience that we will carry with us forever. And we believe that it's important for us to go through that moment. Not because it suddenly how make, makes God like us more. Not because somehow it magically transforms something within us. Or makes God happy. But because it reminds us of who we are whose we are, and the life that now lives in us. And we carry that reminder in our physical bodies when we trust in Jesus in that way. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life. That physical experience of going under the water, being buried, and then being raised is something that somehow marks our minds, our spiritual memories, and shapes how we live in a significant way. It's not magic, but it's beautiful. And so I ask you to consider this. Have you trusted Jesus? Period. Have you trusted Jesus as your source of life? Have you allowed him to deal with the sin in your life? Have you turned away from your old self and your own ways, your own human reasoning, your own human ideology, or the ideology of other people? Have you turned away from those things and turned to Jesus? If you have turned to Jesus, have you taken a step to demonstrate that commitment? Have you been baptized? Have you made that a public statement that you love Jesus and will follow him, continue to follow him? And if you've been baptized, do you remember what that meant? Can you remember the significance of that moment where you knew you were identified with him and in him you are complete and full and whole and his goodness is your goodness, his life is your life. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. 
Have you trusted him? Have you been baptized? With him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Have you trusted God? Have you followed him in baptism? Are you continuing to follow? Let's go on to the next verse. And well, this next slide, we see what Paul has said is available to us in Christ. Through this short passage, here's what he's said. Available in Christ to us is strength, truth, the fullness of God, forgiveness for sin, life, and victory. These are the things that are available to us in Christ and in Christ alone. We can look for other sources, but it's all emptiness, it's all nonsense. No matter how captivating it is, no how much it captures our heart and mind, it will not lead us to life if it's not connected to Jesus. But what's available to us in him is more than enough. Strength, truth, fullness of God, the forgiveness for sin, life and victory are ours in Jesus. Have you trusted him? Are you following him? And now I just want to take you to consider four of the things we've, we've seen about what it means to follow in Jesus. There's lots more we could say, but these are the things Paul has said in this passage. One, you must continue to follow him. You keep doing this day after day. And you do that by letting your roots grow down into him. That's a process of growth. We can be planted in Jesus, but our roots can keep on growing. We've seen, uh, just in this past year, we've seen how when trees aren't firmly rooted, they can be uprooted. And when our roots don't grow down deep, then we lose that strength. We lose that nourishment. We lose that, we lose that life. So you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. As we construct our lives with every choice, every make, brick by brick, thought by thought, action by action, when we structure our lives, our finances, our routines, how we use our energy, when we build and construct all those things based on what we choose to do and how we live, if we don't build that on the foundation of Jesus, it will collapse at some point, even if it's not until eternity when we realize it was all worthless. But we allow our roots to grow down into him in relationship growing in love, our character drawing its power from him. And we also construct our thoughts, our experiences, our day-to-day -day moments. We construct and build that on the person of Jesus, his ways, his life. And we overflow with thankfulness. It's not enough just to, um, just to, to say we're leaning into Jesus. It will somehow produce something in us. It will produce words of gratitude to God but it will overflow in beautiful ways as well and spill out into the lives of others if we're really drawing our source of life from him. And so, you know, do you see a disconnection anywhere in your life? Do you have a sense of not being that flourishing bush and shrub that we saw? A sense of maybe being that dried up twiggy mess? Are you rooted in Christ? Are you overflowing in abundance? Not because your circumstances are great, but because he is powering you and providing for you. 
Are you alive in him? Have you trusted in him? I leave you to consider those things. We're now going to gather around this table of communion for those who have chosen to trust in Jesus. And we're going to gather around this table to remind ourselves of our relationship with him, to renew our commitment to him, to rededicate to him, him as the king and Lord of our lives, and to reconnect. And if you haven't done that in the first place, maybe this isn't the moment for you to take part. And if you're not certain about your relationship with Christ, whether you really have trusted him, whether you have allowed him to deal with that sin in your life, then maybe you need to sit and reflect before you take part in this. But for those who call Christ Lord, for those who want to grow deeper, who want to build upon, who recognize him as the source of life, this is a moment where we celebrate that he is more than enough for us. And we, we find him as the source of life for us today. So I'll invite the worship team to come. Uh, the ushers and elders are going to help pass out the trays while we sing a song, and then we'll pause, and I'll say a few words, and we'll take it together. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we come in this holy moment to your table, we ask that the invitation we hear from you to join you here is one that we would respond to not because we are strong or good, but because we are welcomed by you. That it is not of our own worth that we are invited, but because of your love for us. It's not because our faith is strong, it might be very weak. But it's because our faith in you is enough. You are strong. And you are good. And your invitation to this table is an invitation to be sustained by, to be powered by to be made alive by you. And so Jesus, today we come to this table to declare that you are King and Lord over our lives, that you are our source from which we draw. And today we celebrate you above everything else. Help us to see the places that we have constructed parts of our lives or our patterns, our ways of thinking, our activities, not on you, but on other things. Deconstruct those things, destroy those things so that you would have first place and that our lives would be strong and whole and complete in you. We thank you, Jesus, that we have that incredible opportunity to experience the fullness of God in you. In your name we pray.